Well, good morning. I want to welcome you. Thank you for being together uh, this morning. And uh, as I look out, there's a lot of you here this morning, which is awesome. I, my, my guess is a few of you got cooped up in your houses over the last week, and, and you knew you needed to get out and, and uh, be with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So thanks for being here with us this morning. My name is Charles Gwynn, and I'm a, one of the pastors on staff here. If you're brand new with us this morning, thanks for being together uh, with the church here that meets at PV. And if you want to fill out a Connect card, we'd love that. Uh, that allows for us to get to know you a little bit better. Those are out at the Hub uh, in the foyer, as well as several other places here in the sanctuary. As we continue through uh, the series on the life of David, a man after God's home, own heart. Last week we looked at uh, this idea of David sparing Saul's life. And as we looked at David sparing Saul's life in the cave, uh, in a cave in the desert of Engedi, we discussed that if we're to overcome evil with good in our own lives, we first need to be faithful wherever God has us. And second, we need to be patient in the wilderness of waiting. And third, we must be humble in everything we do. And we, we saw that taking place in David's life. And the verses that we, we looked at gave us kind of a little bit of a glimpse into a moment of David's life where he was in the wilderness. He was in despair. He was on the run and he was under threat of death. And however, uh, as you look at that moment, if you were to look at David's life as a whole, we see David's life in a lot of ways dealing with a season of that taking place. And not only just one season of his life, but over and over again, multiple seasons and many years of his life were spent in the wilderness and on the run and under threat and in despair. And we're reminded that on the one hand, David had this incredible promise these incredible promises of God and yet on the other hand so much of his life was consumed with difficulty and struggle and sorrow on the one hand there was no one quite like David that rejoiced and worshiped and danced like David did feeling so close and connected with God and yet on the other hand, there was no one that was quite like David in the way that he mourned and he was afraid and he was shaken, feeling so far and disconnected from God. And if we were to zoom out and take a look at our own lives, I wonder what would we see? Aren't we a little bit like this? There are times when we are worshiping and praising and, and trusting and feeling so close to God. And then there are other times when we're doubting and complaining and we're depressed, feeling so far from God. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that in this world you will have trouble. So the question this morning is, how do we make it through? How do we make it through the seasons and the multiple seasons of troubles and sorrows that still, still await us? How do we endure through the struggle and the difficulty that many of you are dealing with 
even here today. How did David endure? What did he do in the long seasons when he was in the wilderness? And I want us to look just at a portion of Psalm chapter 63 this morning. David has written many psalms while he was in the wilderness, but Psalm 63 kind of gives us a snapshot into what's taking place in David's heart. You see, he's battling, and he was thirsty for God in the midst of his wilderness. And that's the title of today's message, Thirsty for God. And so if you're able and willing this morning, will you stand again as we read from Psalm chapter 16, verses 1, excuse me, Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 8. The heading says, A Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we read those words of David, I pray that they are words that we could also pray up to you. God, that we are thirsty for you this morning. No matter what's taking place in our lives, God, may we seek you. God, may we remember and meditate on your word, and may we cling to you this morning. It's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the first things that I want you to really grab a hold of from these verses today is is the very distressed condition that David is in. We've been kind of talking about this idea, and, and David is here in the wilderness of Judah, and he's no longer necessarily running from Saul. We've discussed that, but this is later on in his life, and he's running at this point from his son, his son Absalom. And this is a dry and weary land where, where there's no water. And he's just, he's just physically, he's not just physically thirsty, but he's spiritually desperate for the Lord. It says he's thirsty in his very soul. His soul is thirsting and his body longs for the Lord. And some of you can really relate to that here this morning sometimes we can be in the wilderness in a season that is that we're so desperate in that it's wreaking havoc not just in our bodies but in our souls as well essentially we're just we're tapped out but what do we see david doing in the midst of everything going on david is looking to god it says he's singing he's praising god with joy, and he's praying in the wilderness. And if we're to just kind of condense what he's ta- what's taking place in David's life, he's worshiping. 
He's worshiping in the wilderness. Charles Spurgeon asked, Shall we praise God in the garden and not praise him in the wilderness? He said, Even though we might be in the desert, there should be no reason why the desert should be in us. So the question is, how can we even begin to worship if we're at a place in our lives that where we're so worn out, we're so sad, we're so depressed? Many of you might be thinking this morning, how can you talk about worshiping when I'm just trying to make it? I'm just trying to get by. How do we move our hearts towards worship? Well, how did David do it? In Psalm 63, we see at least three ways that David moved his heart toward worship in the wilderness. And they all have to do with being thirsty for God. He moved towards worship, first of all, by seeking. Second, by remembering and meditating. And third, by clinging. And so if you're taking notes, I'd write down seeking. David says here in verse 1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I, what does it say? Seek you. Yeah, he's longing for the Lord. And notice what David is not seeking. He is not seeking a way out. He's in the middle of a desert, but he's not seeking an exit strategy. People are literally hunting him down in order to kill him. And David is asking something as he spends time in prayer, but he isn't asking God to just fix everything and get him out of there. That's not what he's asking. In his circumstances, in his terrible circumstances, he's, he isn't asking for a, a change in those circumstances. Instead, what is he seeking for? Again, and look at verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. And by using those two words, soul and body, he communicates that everything about who he is, his very being, is thirsty for God. What does it mean to thirst? Well, Google definition, to strongly desire something, to thirst, to strongly desire something. And I just thought about physically, without water, we die. Spiritually, without God, we die. And I wonder, have you ever truly been thirsty in your life? And my two-year-old daughter, Berkeley, she'd say yes. Every single night, in the middle of the night, she wakes up, and she wants a drink, you know, and, and she just thinks she is so thirsty, she wants a drink of water, and if she doesn't get that drink of water, guess what we don't get? Sleep, right? If we don't get that drink of water to her, we don't get any sleep, and when it comes to a, a true thirst in a dry and weary land where there is no water, there's no reasoning with thirst, there's no forgetting it. There's no overcoming thirst with sheer willpower. It has to be addressed. It has to be addressed. And so when David says, my soul thirsts for you, God, 
He's saying, I'm on the brink of physical death. But here's the thing that's most essential for the support of my life right now. This is what it is. Here's what I need more than anything else. This is, this is what I can't just overlook. What I need is I need you, God. Nothing else. And as we come together this morning, if you're in the wilderness times, what are you seeking? Right now, again, if you are going through the wilderness, what are you seeking? What do you want? What are you going after? And if you're like me, I always try to take the easy route. I just want whatever is going to be the easiest, God, make that happen. And David didn't thirst for water or any other earthly thing. David thirsted for the presence of God in the wilderness, in his very soul. David didn't ask God to, to get him out of the wilderness. Instead, he asked God to be with him in the wilderness. David was saying, if I just have you, God, I'll be okay. David seeks the presence of the Lord, knowing that everything changes with God by his side. Have you ever had that friend that has come alongside you? That, that friend, while, you, while you're going through a difficult circumstance in your life, they show up in the midst of that, and they're, they're a shoulder to lean on, they're a friend to depend on, and your circumstances haven't changed one bit you're still dealing with the same problems that you're dealing with, and yet when they come alongside you, everything is better. Their very presence lifts you up. It changes everything, and God does that for us in our lives. Verse 1 says he sought after God earnestly, and it's a Hebrew word that literally means early. Early will I seek you. And of course, we know from Jesus' life that Jesus was one that was willing to get up early in the morning before it was light out. While it was still dark, Jesus got up and he, he spent time with his heavenly Father. And one of the things that has changed in my life since moving here to Casper is the time of day that I get up. When I was, when I was a youth minister in Nebraska, I didn't go into the office till like 9 in the morning, okay? So I didn't have to get up till like 8, and my kids were all homeschooled, and, they, and I just, you know, showed up, okay? But here, I, I'm to the office by 8, and, and the other thing that's really changed since moving here to Casper is the conviction that I have that God has put on my heart to, to wake up. And earnestly seek after the Lord. And if we expect to, to see God do mighty things through this church, then as a church, we better be earnestly seeking after the Lord. Amen? That, that's, that's where we need to be. And I still love my sleep, don't get me wrong. And in fact, I, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that gets up at 4 a.m. like some of you like to do. But my challenge for us as we look at these verses is for us as a church to earnestly seek after the Lord. And I would challenge you to decide what time is early for you. What time do you need to set an alarm so that you truly, before anything else, 
in your day, before you look at your phone, before you check your email, before you check your bank accounts, before you deal with the kids, what time do you need to set your alarm so that you can spend an unhurried, uninterrupted time with Jesus? A time that you can spend with God in his word and in prayer as a practical way of doing what David is doing here, as a tangible expression of saying to God, God, my soul thirsts for you. I'm seeking you first, God. I'm seeking you above everything else that's going to demand my attention today. And this is something that I have to work on on a daily basis. It's easy to grab my phone to do my daily Bible reading, and all of a sudden, somehow, I'm on Facebook, or, or I'm checking my email. I'm like, wait a second. I'm supposed to be reading God's Word. I'm with you. Uh, it's a struggle. But when we go to God first and seek and experience Him first, then everything else that takes place during your day becomes secondary. All the things going on in this world become secondary. And, and so I challenge us as a church to earnestly seek the Lord. Because I guarantee you that if, you're, if you were dying of thirst, you would get up whenever in order to get that drink. You see what I'm saying there? You would get up at 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 1 in the morning if you were dying of thirst to get that drink of water. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to earnestly seek after God this week? The second thing that I see in these verses, if our hearts are to move towards worshiping God in the wilderness, is that it's going to require remembering and meditating. I put both those together. That way I don't have four points. I only I still have three, okay? All right. So remembering and meditating. If you look at verse 2, Again, in chapter 63 of Psalm, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. What is David doing in this verse? Well, he's remembering. He's not in the sanctuary right in that moment. He's in the wilderness. And so he's remembering when he was in the sanctuary. He's remembering that it, it hasn't always been this way. And some of you are going through some tough stuff right now, and it hasn't always been this way. And I think if we're going to make it in the wildernesses of our lives, we have to remember that it hasn't always been this way. Uh, that's so critical. You have to remember that things haven't always been the way the way that you're dealing with what you're dealing with right now. God hasn't always felt maybe far off and distant. Remember that there were times when he felt near and present. And then De David says in verse 3 and 4, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. He talks about this steadfast love is better than life. Now when he uses the word better, he's not just remembering anymore. He's evaluating. He's not just remembering and bringing information about God into his mind, but he's taking that information, information and he's using it. He's applying it. And that's what meditating is all about. Meditating. 
David is taking the truths about God, his power, his glory, his loving kindness, and he's comparing and contrasting them with all the other things, all the other things that are troubling him and causing him to despair in life. And he comes to the conclusion that God's power, God's glory, his steadfast love, his loving kindness, the Hebrew word is hesed, his covenant love, he says, is better than life. And when we remember things about God, we are bringing into our mind truths like God is powerful. We're remembering that, God, you are glorious. We're remembering, God, you love me. And that's remembering. But when we meditate, we're saying not just God is powerful, but we kind of have to begin to argue with ourselves a little bit. Now, now if, if God is powerful, then why am I so afraid? Right? That, that's where the meditation part comes in. Not just remembering, but actually thinking it through, working it through. You're using the truth that you know, and you're applying it. We're not just saying, God is glorious, but now we're reasoning. If God is so glorious, then, then why am I so desperately trying to go after something else? We're not just reading the truth that God loves me, but we're taking the truth in and we're saying, now if this glorious and, and powerful God loves me, then why can't I just trust him that ultimately he has me in the wilderness for my good and not for my harm? David says in verse 5, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest foods. Think about this. David has gone from his soul thirsting and desperate in verse 1 to his soul now being satisfied in verse 5. How? How did that take place well if you look at verse 6 this is how the new king james says it this way when i remember you in my bed see there's this remembrance i meditate on you in the night watches that's how it happened david spent time not only remembering but also meditating and church when you're in the wilderness just looking at the food can't help you, okay? And many of us in the wilderness, we're reading the Bible, right? But we're just looking at it. When you're in the wilderness, just looking at the food isn't going to do you any good. You actually have to eat the food. Just reading the Bible and remembering the truths about God doesn't have the same impact as meditating on those truths and applying them in your specific wilderness. You have to take the, the richest of foods from God's word and taste them and chew on them and take them in and let them nourish you and strengthen you and satisfy you. And that's how your soul moves from being desperate to being satisfied in the wilderness. The last point 
Again, reading from verse 6 through 8. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Lastly, we worship in the wilderness by clinging. By clinging. And what comes to my mind, of course, is my kids all of them at different points clinging to my leg when I'm trying to go somewhere else and I'm dragging them along, right? Just trying, they're clinging. And my soul clings to you, David says. David is in the wilderness of Judah, and, and I'm sure the daytime in the wilderness wasn't all that fun, but can you imagine the nighttime? How dark it must have been, how cold it must have been. And I'm sure David's imagination at times was running away with him when it came to every little sound and, and all the difficulties of this moment of his life. What does David do? He clings. When he can't see in the cold, dark night of the wilderness, he clings to God. And many times, what makes our wildernesses so difficult it may be more difficult than they really are, is that we can't see beyond what's right in front of us. We, we can't see God working behind the scenes. For many of us, we begin to doubt in those difficult times, but not David. Not David. In the midst of the dark night of the wilderness, David knows that what he must do is to cling to God. And instead of despairing, David chooses to sing for joy. In Psalm 139, verses 5 and 6, says this, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain and this is what clinging to God in the wilderness of our lives looks like. We don't know everything. We don't know how it's all going to turn out. We don't know what God is doing in all the different aspects of our lives because in a lot of ways, that knowledge is just too wonderful for us. It's too lofty for us to attain. And so we must cling to Him. And as the praise team comes, let me conclude with this. For many of you here today, you might be thinking, well, that all sounds good and fine, but that sounds like a lot of work. You might be thinking, if making it through the wilderness depends on me and my ability to cling to him, that all the seeking and all the remembering and all the meditating, then I just don't know if I'm going to make it. And if that's what you're thinking this morning, you're right. Because if you look at verse 8 one more time, David says, my soul clings to you. And if that was where the verse ended, we would be in a lot of trouble if it was just up to us to cling to him. But it doesn't end there, amen? He, he goes on to say, your right hand upholds me. And so in times in life where we doubt and we, we loosen our grip from God, 
Guess what God is doing? He's upholding us. He's holding on to us. God's right hand lifts us up. No matter what we in our weaknesses are dealing with, God holds on to us. And so if you're going to make it through the seasons of the wilderness in our lives, it, it won't be because of you or I. It's not about the grip that you have on God. It's about the grip that God has on you. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life,